Hiring? With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. Try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash 247sports. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash 247sports. Welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. And now it is our pleasure to welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast, Rick Neuheisel, Coach. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Uh, it is a, an exciting week, a busy week all around college football as the uh, the coaching carousel continues to spin. Uh, the college football playoff is set. Are you in New York City right now at the hub of all of uh, all the buzz right now? I am in the city that never sleeps. Yes, that is me, and uh, I'm right along with it. I don't sleep much either, but uh, having a great time as we wind down yet another unbelievable college football season. Are you going to try to make your? Are you going to try to to sneak into any of those uh, rooms and maybe try and uh, fall into one of these jobs as all the athletic directors are moving and shaking at the NFF events? You know, I'm not hard to find. <laughs> so if anybody uh, if anybody wants uh, wants to go back to a guy that uh, had some measure of success in this game. Uh, I know it's hard to imagine that that was the case, but if you go back, there were some games we actually ended up on the winning ledger. Uh, they can find me, Coach. More than some games, uh, that it was. It doesn't take much research to go back and find the success. Uh, let's take a look um, real quickly. I know that we've had a couple days here, but with the College Football Playoff Selection Committee selecting its final four, big picture, do you think that? The committee was sending any messages with its unprecedented decision to have two teams from the same conference, uh, one who was not even playing for the conference championship in the college football playoff. How did you view the committee's decision? Because, you know, we've only had four years, so every year sets a new precedent moving forward. What was your reaction? I actually thought they got it right. Yeah, given, given what they're charged to do, which is get the best four teams, I think uh, as you looked at Alabama, and again, uh, I, I, I understand the argument they didn't beat a lot of quality teams, but they beat everybody who was on their schedule with the exception of Auburn, and they beat them soundly. Now, the Mississippi State game in, uh, in Starkville was an exception to that, but that was a big-time atmosphere for the home team with a really good team with a quarterback that uh, – you know, I think if you look, talk to the coaches in the SEC, they'll tell you that Fitzgerald was right at the top, along with Drew Locke. I, I just think that uh, this was a really good football team. And when you juxtapose them with Ohio State, while we certainly see talent and uh, lots of good things when you look at the Buckeyes, you can't unsee that Iowa game. And so exactly what got Ohio State in last year because of their wins at uh, Oklahoma despite not winning the conference, despite not playing uh, in a championship game, they were the choice over uh, Penn State a year ago. I, I guess I, I get it. I, now, the one thing that I would like to add to this, and I think the committee and college football really needs to look at themselves in the mirror and say, is this right? Every time we've left a conference out, whether it was the Big 12 in year one, the Pac-12 in year two, the Big 12 in year three, and now the Pac-12 and Big 10 in year four, 
every one of those teams has one thing in common. One, every one of those conferences has one thing in common. That is, they all played nine conference games. Mm. The, the, the ACC and SEC, the only conferences that have not been left, are the only two that still play eight, and I think we got to fix that. Yeah, I, I, I agree 100%. Um, that said, do, do you think that the playoffs, as it stands right now, given the, the way it's determined, the way the four teams are decided on, the way uh, the criteria that they use, which clearly, you know, while they, they talk about conference championships, clearly that's that's down the list a little bit. Do you think it's 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 good as is or do you think there needs to be whether expanded teams whether there needs to be adjustments to how they, they they come up with them are you happy with the way the playoff system works right now i understand why we're where we're at uh it's like you, we all remember trying to ask our parents for something that uh we knew we had to pick the right time to ask whether yeah. it was a weekender with your friends whether it was uh for money for something that uh might seem a little bit uh uh, flamboyant. We all knew when to ask our parents, hey, can I spend the night over at, you know, my friend's house, that, that kind of thing. That's exactly what these athletic directors have done with the university presidents when it comes to uh, expanding the playoff. College football for the many university presidents is already too big. And so because of that, you want to be real careful. And, and the other uh, advantage that four has given us is we have these conversations where we get uh, outraged that a conference was left out or we get thrilled that a team was put in. You know, those kind of water cooler conversations are good for college football and good to move the needle in terms of the, uh, the interest that surrounds the game. That being said, I'm more, I'm more of an inclusive guy. I think that uh, ultimately what I would love to see is two teams – from every conference, uh, included in a round-robin type affair, seated so you're not just playing each other for conference championships. I think we've, we've outgrown uh, conference championships. But if we got uh, two teams from each conference, add a group of five team to give them some measure of hope so a Central Florida gets an opportunity to play against the big boys and see how they do, and then in at-large, you'd have 12 teams, eight of which would play in the opening weekend to reduce it down to four, and then those four would play against the top four seeds, and I think we'd have college football in one heck of a place. You'd have to get rid of college, uh, conference championship games to do it, but uh, I think you can, you can live with that given that uh, they aren't as meaningful as maybe they once were. Isn't the argument against that format that, look, college football right now is, is already a playoff Every game matters. We've got some bad resumes trying to get into the four anyways. Um, you know, ha does, does that not water down the regular season a little bit in terms of every game? Meaning I don't understand that argument at all. Now, because as we got to the month of November, there were, you know, meaningful games, certainly. But we also had games against Mercer and Wofford yeah. and Louisiana Monroe and no knock to those. But, but uh, why – we? Think of the amount of games that would have been more meaningful if we were tracking who won the uh, Pac-12 South, if we were tracking who was going to uh, emerge from uh, the ACC Coastal. I mean, those kind of things are, are important uh, if you follow those teams, and, and each conference could leave it up to themselves as to how to determine who their best two are. I mean, I think the Big 12 uh, way of doing it, one, two teams are at the top of the heap, playing each other is probably the way most would end up going. 
but uh, you have to fight for to the finish to get to those two spots. To me, that is is uh, meaningful. And, and let me say this: maybe the best thing about my way, or at least, and it's not just my way, but my way of thinking about this is that more people will have a seat at the table and a chance. It's an encouragement to athletic directors and people out there who are trying to build football programs that there's hope to actually get in. This is a pretty blue blood deal we've got right now. We've had 16 spots at the table over four years, and only nine teams have gotten there. Alabama and Clemson, four and three respectively. I mean, if if that's the way it is, these other schools are going to say, okay, I'll just take my TV revenue, my 45 to $50 million as it grows to that number, and uh, I'll put it into other sports because I, I, don't have, I don't have a chance to get into that exclusive uh, party that they're having at the end of the season. They're trading access for a paycheck, essentially. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean think about it. There's, in the same four years, there have been 13 teams that made it to the final four in hoops. Yeah, that just gives more hope. Yeah, now, I, and 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 I I'm just saying it, it, this argument about the regular season being marginalized. I I don't buy it. That just means more games are are bigger. And I think we also have to figure out a way to get more good on good games. I, I think we should have seen our last Alabama versus Mercer game. It's going to be really hard to get uh, the SEC and the ACC to go to nine. They get they they keep throwing on in all the eight plus one scheduling requirements and all. They're doing everything they can to try and change it as though they can do something but go to nine conference games. Coach, I don't get it. Eight plus one, yeah, that that okay, that makes a lot of sense for them. But look at USC, a team that's barely outside looking in. Okay, first of all, who would have taken the bet? that after four years of a college football playoff, the USC Trojans would never have made it. Right. That, that's an amazing statement. And yet, look at their schedule. They played nine conference games. They played Notre Dame. They played Texas. Now, you can say that Texas wasn't great. Notre Dame, uh, you know, was, was really good, but maybe not great. But, but when you're playing those teams, that's marquee stuff. And they did it without a bye. They did it yeah. 12 straight weeks. And yet, they're outside looking in. I just think... If we looked at if we if we did what I propose, I think you'd have some unbelievable games, some unbelievable interest, and I don't think we'd be taxing the kids any more than we already are. What is uh to go to pivot a little bit to um, the recruiting side of things, which I think also plays into the coaching carousel that we're experiencing right now. The early signing period uh, is coming up. Uh, is that something, when you think about the, the life and the calendar and the schedule of a coach and a coaching staff, uh, do you think that the early signing period pre- presents any, any challenges or advantages or disadvantages uh, as we sit here going into the first year of its existence? Let me say this. The early signing date added to the list of things that the coaches are already doing in the month of December makes it the multitasking Olympics of the United <laughs> States. You had, I mean, there is no way to even begin to think about recruiting weekends, recruiting uh, kids on your team taking finals, setting up bowl schedules and practice schedules and, and doing the, the amount of time and effort that go into game planning for these bowls, buying your family Christmas presents. I mean, it is an unbelievable, and now signing players on December 20th, I can't even imagine. And how about for these programs that are still looking for coaches? Right. I mean, 
you talk about you talk about putting them behind the eight ball. I mean, I, I talked to uh, Brett Bielema before uh, he got the uh, unfortunate news, and he told me he thought seventy five percent of uh, the kids out there were going to sign on the twentieth. Oh no! So if 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 you've got seventy five percent of the of the uh, class gone as you take your new job, what's left? And what kind of impact will that have on your program down the road? That, to me, I, I always said, and I'll say it again, that early signing period should have been in August. If you yeah. really wanted the coaches to have some recruiting and then have some time to do some coaching, I mean, you talk about uh, you're like a one-legged man in a butt-kicking contest. You are busy. <laughs> Maybe they can have a little time off in January at least then. <laughs> uh Ease down the stretch a little bit, but as you understand it, what, what's what was even the purpose of this early signing period? Was it to, to take some stress off the coaches? Was it to yeah? They, to, well, uh, and, and it's it, no. the The idea was if a kid wants to knows where he wants to go, he ought to be able to say he wants to go there, and and everybody can understand that. And then take him off the marketplace, so you're not spending a bunch of time and money either flying him to your school or or chasing him down when his location. You, you, he's off, so now you move on to the next guy. And everybody understands that. I just say, if you could do that in the month of August or early September, whatever it is, right before the football season gets going, that makes all the sense in the world. To do it during your football season where you're, where you're just trying to catch up and, and get game plans together and get your team off and running because obviously we see it's a volatile job as a head coach. People lose their jobs. Yeah, they get their nice buyouts, but we haven't seen any of them resurface. And how long will they be out? Les Miles is still looking for work. So my point to you is this. If that's going to be the case, we need to and, – and then, and then it just goes to these staffs that have proliferated such to the point where we've got more analysts than we have coaches. So you can put your analysts on the recruiting stuff, your coaches on the football stuff, and you're going to get further ahead, and we're now getting even more blue blood than we were before. To me, it, 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 uh, it makes no sense. I, I, I would have argued and argued until I was blue in the face. you got to let coaches coach football during the football season and not have 8,000 other things to do. Yeah, I, I don't really love the early signing period as it is uh, for a different reason, because I think it puts pressure on the kids to, you know, to, to make a difficult decision when they're maybe waiting for a bigger offer and, um, I think it limits some of their opportunities. Um, but I, I wanted to get into the coaching carousel a little bit. One one thing I, I really wanted to ask you about, Coach, was, uh, you know, when this Greg Schiano stuff went down at Tennessee, it, it, it reminded me uh, about when you were at UCLA and you all tried to hire Rocky Cito as your defensive coordinator. And, and as I remember it, there was like a backlash from the fan base and, and some you know, it, ultimately the a hire didn't happen. I'm curious if, if that – colored the way you viewed the Greg Schiano situation and if you can kind of take us a little bit into to, to how that played out on, on your end well uh, they're, they're not exactly parallel situations uh, when I made the decision I wanted to go with Rocky I had to take it to my boss Rocky unfortunately had leaked it to somebody and it became it got out there and so my boss got uh, Dan Guerrero got besieged with a lot of issues that he thought were problematic and in talking to me about uh the issues it became a, more of an issue for him 
than it was for me. And obviously, since he's in a, uh, you know, supervisory role there, I had to acquiesce. Uh, and it was it was too bad because I think it could have all been handled had I been able to uh, get to my my supervisor before it, uh, the news became public. With this particular case, it was a situation where, you know, athletic director who'd been given the opportunity to take over the program, given the charge to find the next football coach, did all his due diligence, talked to the big timers, including Peyton Manning, who is as yeah. much an ambassador for that program as anybody, and then decided he was going to go forward. And what happened next was embarrassing. Embarrassing from the standpoint that while fans are entitled to their opinion and certainly uh, are going to weigh in, they don't get to make the hire. That's, that's John Curry's job, or at least it was until he was uh, relieved of his duties because of this fiasco. And, you know, some p- members of the media getting involved and putting, you know, cell phone numbers of the athletic director on social media, that to me got way out of bounds. And the unfortunate victim of it all was Greg Schiano, who had to listen to a bunch of hearsay again. And it's the perfect definition of hearsay if you're into the legal stuff in terms of he said that he said that he said. And none of the people that are uh, mentioned in that uh, sordid case in State College, whether it was Tom Bradley or Greg Schiano, ever said it ever happened, as uh, Mike McQuarrie's story continues to change and evolve. So the, the point I'm making is it ended up being a terrible thing for uh, Coach Schiano, a guy who built a program basically from scratch at Rutgers. And I just think it's a shame because now we're seeing Tennessee having let go now another athletic director. And we're also seeing a, uh, a search that continues to move around in different directions. And I'm not sure what exactly where the needle's going to fall. As we sit here this morning and, and we'll see what happens by the time this is released, but you know, I thought Greg Schiano was would have been a good hire on the football side because of the stabilizing force he would have had. You know, he, he's a disciplinary and all those sort of things. And, and, and it looks like now they've they've zeroed in on, you know, as we sit today, maybe Jeremy Pruitt's the favorite. Mel Tucker, Kevin Steele are the other two that they seem to be looking at. What do you think about that direction for Tennessee? Go, going that coordinator route, going that SEC coordinator route. Do, do you think those are good fits in terms of what you've seen from the outside looking in at Tennessee? I think that means Philip Fulmer wants to be the head coach again. <laughs> I think Philip Fulmer is to bring in a coordinator so that he can help do it. And uh, I don't blame Philip Fulmer for wanting to get back in. Having been out, I know what that feels like. Uh, and I think uh, given now the power that he exerts, that's exactly what's happening there. Just uh, if you get it, to, <laughs> if it is it is it Barry Alvarez esque? Is that what we're seeing there? I would say that it, uh, it and and volunteer fans hope like heck it is. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Barry Alvarez has done it. Wisconsin, the formula works. Paul Chris is a complete disciple. He buys in. The two guys that uh, wanted to br- break away, both Brett Bielema, who enjoyed the success for a bunch of time, uh, years. And then Gary Anderson, who squirmed and felt uh, it, it a little overbearing. Both those guys are out of coaching now. You know the job and you know the league very well. Uh, is there what 
insight would you give Chip Kelly if he called you and asked for advice? Or he might have. Chip and I have spoken, and I've given him a list of things that uh, are important that were not available uh, to me as the head coach at UCLA. Uh, I don't think they were available to Jim Mora. And uh, what I think in terms of the world of college football, as you look at the the pros and cons of things you have, UCLA has so many pros, so many good things. But the things that were missing that were easily easily attainable if if proper financing was given those those are the kind of things that i mentioned to chip that uh, he needed to make sure were part of uh his package as he went forward and and i think uh all parties have have agreed to that stuff so i i look forward to seeing ucla climb back into the national conversation what do you think that timeline is going to be like what do you think is a, an expectation um, for either the fan base there or even uh, from a national perspective of how, how, you know, is it two recruiting classes? Is this, is this an instant impact? You know, I, I, obviously I don't have as in-depth a knowledge of the roster as maybe five years ago. Right. Uh, but, but I do know that uh, within 100 miles of UCLA are 20 million people. And I do know that uh, the idea of playing – for Chip Kelly's got to be exciting for a lot of youngsters. And I know that uh, it is always going to be true that it's exciting in the prospect of going to a place like UCLA. Do you think that was the best hire of the coaching carousel so far? Uh, you know, from a high profile uh, stand- standpoint, I don't think there's any question. Sure, yeah. Uh, but, but from a standpoint of getting things done expeditiously and, and, and uh, kind of seeing the writing on the wall and being ready to react when things happen, I thought Mississippi State, you know, did a great job. You know, Dan Mullen decided it was time to take on another challenge. Everybody can understand that. And they have Joe Moorhead in place in, what, three days? Yeah, it was one of the best. No, we agree. We talked about it here. We said that was, uh, in contrast to Tennessee, the first job that opened in the SEC, Mississippi State's job was open for about three days, and they had one of the best hires that we saw from the entire cycle. And having met Joe Moorhead this year in in, uh, State College as they were getting ready to start their season, I'm wildly impressed. I think the guy will be fantastic, and uh, I congratulate all those that – Mississippi State for getting that done. I want to ask you one more before we get out of here. Um, uh, Florida State hired Willie Taggart. I remember asking you about a year ago who you were impressed with from an offensive coaching standpoint in college football, and you pointed to Willie Taggart at USF. So I, I know you've got at least some level of, of respect for what he's done. Um, what's what's your take on that hire? Um, you know, what, what kind of ceiling does he have in, in Tallahassee? Well, you know, I don't know how many of the guys that were on Oregon staff are coming with Willie, but if Marco Cristobal and Jim Levitt and those guys are all going to join him, I think it's going to be a monster hit for the Seminoles. I think Seminole fans realize, and it'll be interesting to see who Jimbo Fisher brings with him to College Station, but I think Seminole fans realize that there might have been a little bit of long in the tooth notion on that staff. And for this particular group, Willie Taggart, who I think is one of the really bright up and coming guys in the coaching profession, a Harbaugh disciple in terms of toughness and ruggedness, 
and, you know, a native of Florida, I think that guy's going to have an unbelievable cachet in living rooms across that state. Cristobal's already been known as that kind of guy from there. Jim Levitt was the former head coach of South Florida, where he took the team as high as number two in the country. I think these guys can go in there and absolutely, and we know there's plenty of talent in the state. We know there's plenty of talent on the roster. I think it can happen, and it can happen rather quickly, and I'm excited to watch it. What, what's, what's the long-term balance of power in the state of Florida? What, how, do you, how do you handicap it? Who's, gonna, who's the long-term favorite to, to win that state? <laughs> well, when the best game of the year was South Florida and, and Central Florida, <laughs> it, uh, it, it could be anybody's guess. <laughs> but uh, ultimately, I think it's, pose, it's poised for some, some unbelievable football down the road. I like where the Gators are with Dan Mullen, who can find quarterbacks and, and create quarterbacks that no longer – it's been since 2009 since Florida had a 400-yard-a-game offense. 2009. And by the way, 400 yards a game would have finished about 65th this year. So it's not exactly an out-of-the-box type of notion to get that kind of yardage on a game-by-game basis. So I think him being able to uh, be back there and, and, and find quarterbacks and, and, and develop them is, is exciting. The Florida State thing we just went over. How about Mark Rick? He's probably going to be coach of the year this year in Miami. Yep. The excitement in, in down there. I, I think Florida's a, a unbelievable mecca for college football. And the jobs, as I've mentioned, at, at UCF and South Florida are both really good jobs as well. And how about the lane train down there in Boca? That guy's on fire. So, <laughs> and, and Butch Davis at FIU. I, I, I love it. it it's, it's been an unbelievable year for Florida. He is the coach, Rick Neuheisel. You can catch him on CBS Sports. You can catch him on CBS Sports Network inside college football. Coach, we thank you for your time here on the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. We look forward to catching up soon. All right, guys. Take care. Happy holidays. Our thanks to Rick Neuheisel. Uh, He is a valuable part of our team. And, you know, if you are trying to recruit great talent to add to your team, like CBS Sports is able to do with Rick Neuheisel, well, then we here at the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast have a great deal and a place for you to go. That's, of course, with ZipRecruiter. And the best thing is, by listening to this podcast, you get the inside on a deal that is unbelievable because you can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash 247sports. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. Then ZipRecruiter puts its smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting so you receive, what do you receive? The best possible matches. It's no wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. It's ZipRecruiter. It is the smartest way to hire. So again, find out today. Why ZipRecruiter has been used by growing businesses of all sizes in all industries. Small business, you know, Fortune 500, Fortune 3000, doesn't matter. This can help you if you are trying to find the right hire and save some time. Uh, Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash 24-7-Sports. Again, you can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash 24-7-Sports. Barton, our uh, it is Thursday morning as we sit here recording this. Our long national nightmare is over, it seems. Uh, the reality show that we have loved watching has come to its season finale. 
Uh, I know that the there is a certain contingent of our listenership that is pleased that this is coming to a close, but I think that you share in my concern that I don't know what we're going to do with our time uh, now that it looks like Tennessee's coaching search is done. You know, Chip, I, I thought there would be a time when, when, let me say this, I didn't think there would ever be a time where I would want this coaching search to end. And then with the coup of the athletic director, the Phil Fulmer press conference, it just felt over. I was, I was past it. It kind of got a little sad. It, was, <laughs> it, it started wearing on me. Um, and at that point, you know, once we got past the potential Mike Leach, which would have been the perfect ending to this Tennessee search, uh, once, once that fell through, I, I just wanted to get this thing over with. And, and we've been – Phil Fulmer has been mulling over three defensive coordinators for the past week, it feels like. Finally, we got it done. Jeremy Pruitt's the guy, and I got to say, uh, I, th- I think it's a pretty good hire. Uh, end of the day, uh, all the twists and turns of this search has been through. I think Jeremy Pruitt is a is a pretty good hire, um, and I think he's going to bring some some juice, some toughness, some <clears throat> recruiting acumen. I mean, this is one of the best recruiters in college football. He's an alpha. He's a guy that's going to get it. You know, players like playing for him. Never been a head coach, but I, I do really think that there is a lot to like about this hire if you're a Tennessee fan. Because with the with Mike Leach and um, you know with <laughs> like a lot of the other names that were thrown out, you know there was uh, a little bit of a. Uh, not a sex appeal, that's wrong, but like a sexiness to, to or pizzazz to it. And then when he got up to New York City for these uh, for these foundation NFF events and we started hearing about the interviews that were taking place, it's like, oh, it's three SEC defensive coordinators. It's, uh, it's Mel Tucker from Georgia. It's Kevin Steele from Auburn. It's uh, Jeremy Pruitt from Alabama. And that's where it's like, okay, so the pizzazz is gone, but if we're talking about uh, what you – sort of mentioned uh, in your football-only analysis of Greg Schiano, a stabilizing force, then it kind of seems like, I mean, this is an assistant who has been, uh, he's done long stints with Alabama. He was he was definitely in FSU. Was he at Georgia too? Yeah, yeah, he was at Georgia for a, uh, one year, I think. Yeah, no, nah, this is, uh, this, this is a... This is a coach who who knows the landscape uh, about as well as as you can imagine. You obviously uh, can speak to his recruiting acumen as well. Um, do you think that this is do you, like what do you think is the next step for Tennessee uh, with Jeremy Pruitt? Like, is is there any with the high with certain hires? You often are like Chad Morris to Arkansas, for example. The first thought that came to my mind was, oh, it'll be interesting to see who he hires as defensive coordinator. Do you think Jeremy Pruitt is ready for like all of the CEO organizational duties that you've got uh, pretty strong confidence in his ability to put together a staff that's going to, um, like st- again, stabilize what has been an absolutely insane situation at Tennessee? I, I think he's going to put together a good staff. He's part of kind of the old boys club in the SEC. He's buddies with all these guys that have made the rounds around different SEC staffs, um, you know, guys like, Lance Thompson and and Tracy Rocker and 
all these assistant coaches that have just been sort of shuffled around and, and they get shuffled around because they can recruit really well uh, and because they're good coaches. And I think he's going to develop, get, get, you know, Will Friend is another one who's, who's um, now the OC up at Colorado State, formerly the offensive line coach at Georgia. I think he's going to come in. Um, you know, we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of names sort of floated around, but I think he's, he's capable on that front. He's connected on that front. Um, for me, the ceiling on this hire, which is why I, I, part of the reason why I like it is I, I do think the ceiling is national title. Like, I think he's got that kind of upsides because of his recruiting, because, because he's going to, his teams are going to play tough. Um, <clears throat> I do think that's the kind of ceiling. Now, with this hire, I think there's a there's a low there's a low floor too, because you remember he he, he ruffled some feathers when he was at Georgia. He he was he was a little bit I think, and in a good way in some ways because he tried to he wanted to go at a different pace than the rest of that Georgia staff, and I think that that caused some conflict internally. I think this is the type of guy that <clears throat> is going to really ask for a lot out of his staff. I think he's the type of guy that isn't going to put up with a lot of BS. I think he's the type of guy that, you know, boosters may not be able to just sort of give him a phone call and expect to be able to push him around. And so all those are good things, but they're also, you know, they're the type of things that if, 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 if it starts going south or if, if things aren't going well, you know, the, the, it could go south quickly. Right. Um, so I think there's a, there's a big spectrum, um, a high ceiling, low floor to this. But I think, look, given that they just had the worst season in the history of the program, uh, I, I, what are you what are you scared of with with a low floor? You, I think this guy truly gives you an opportunity to win a national title because of the way he'll recruit and the staff he'll put together. So, for those reasons, I think it's a, it's a good one. And I also think you know played at Alabama, or, you know, went to Alabama, coached at Alabama. Um, this, I'm sure Alabama is his dream job, um, and I'm sure that Tennessee, if they have a lot of success, and could could potentially lose this guy to Alabama and to you know to replace Nick Saban someday, that's a that's a great scenario if you're Tennessee, to have this guy come in and 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 be successful enough to where Alabama would want him, that's a great scenario. So, a lot of positives to this hire. Um, I, I think it's uh, I think it's what Tennessee needs. So who who is uh, who is more of the darling of Alabama when Nick Saban does uh, shut down his cyborg body and retire? Is it Dabo Sweeney or does Jeremy Pruitt catch up to him in the uh, power rankings? I mean that depends, <laughs> that depends on how long Saban's how long around, the cyborg guess, how right? long the cyborg keeps running <laughs> how much battery yeah, life is left it's, on that. It, it's obviously Dabo right now, but. Um, right. You got to you got to believe that Jeremy Pruitt's sitting there with that that circled on his you know in his diary that he keeps every night is you know can't you know how do I get to that Alabama job so I think he'll be gunning for that but uh, that's a long way off and and, and, and uh, several steps ahead so the the one interesting thing I would look at from this hire too is I've already seen the and we've we've seen it with every hire potential hire and there's been a bunch with Tennessee. But I've already seen the people kind of patting themselves on the back, saying the Tennessee fans saying we did it, man. We you know we we shut down the Greg Schiano hire and, and that enabled us to get a better hire than Jeremy Pruitt. And I, I just want to pump the brakes and, and say like 
do we really know this is a better hire? He might be a better hire, but do we really know this is a better hire than Greg Schiano? Um, Greg Schiano had been a successful head coach. Greg Schiano had been one of the best in college football. He, Jeremy Pruitt hasn't. So let's let's not go that far. Like, uh, and and the other question I would have is. Had it not been for all that Greg Schiano stuff, like if Jeremy Pruitt was the first name that emerged and they were about to hire Jeremy Pruitt out of nowhere amid groomer season and, and the great era of groomers, would Tennessee fans have been as this excited about it? I feel like they've, their, their expectations have been shifted from Greg Schiano to nearly hiring Dave Doran to, you know, all the different peaks and valleys of this. And now like they're, like if they had to be taken from we are getting Gruden according to this message board post to Jeremy Pruitt, it would have been uh, a steep fall off that maybe doesn't uh, that maybe doesn't end up in the what what does uh, Rucker call it the Bolshevik Revolution? Bolshevik, yeah. <laughs> like it wouldn't be Bolshevik. the it wouldn't be the revolt of the fans, but uh, it, it would have at least not had the air of positivity that it does as we sit here on December 7th? I, I, I think so. And, and, and the other two hires, like I, I think, again, Jeremy Pruitt, of the three that, that Philip Fulmer narrowed it down to, Mel Tucker and Kevin Steele, I think Jeremy Pruitt is the sexiest of the three. I think, I mean, surely a Mel Tucker hire right out the jump would have, would have had the revolt up in arms, right? Like, that's hard for me to believe that they would have been super excited about Mel Tucker. Um, and, and even Kevin Steele, even though he's a Tennessee guy, again, hard for me to believe that's a one that's inspiring, given what his – I mean, if they're mad about Greg Schiano's record, Kevin Steele's record at Baylor was – was I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was not good. Um, so Hey, the only number that uh, – I mean, this is so unfair that I keep bringing this up, but the number that comes to my mind with Kevin Steele is 70. I know, I know, man. It's gonna, it's gonna follow him forever. Yeah, I'm sorry. The seventy, the 70 what was it? Uh, West Virginia that put up the seventy on him, and it was on the fly sweep. They had Tavon <laughs> Austin running the fly sweep, and Clemson had no adjustment for it, and he scored. Yeah. He scored four first half touchdowns on the same play over and over again. Kevin Steele was nine and thirty six in four seasons as the head coach of Baylor. Yeah. Um, so I mean, it, it would have been very hypocritical to me if Tennessee fans would have acted like they were excited about that hire when they weren't about Greg Schiano. And I know some of it was like the Sandusky stuff, but that's be honest with yourself, Tennessee fans. Like there were a lot of you that didn't care about the Schiano stuff. They just didn't like his, his one win above 500 at Rutgers. Um, do you remember the MTV show two a days? <laughs> I do. And I remember the amazing Jeremy Pruitt quote, about asparagus. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go back and. Uh, yeah, dig that up. You two guys make good for each other. What is that? Asparagus. You don't like asparagus? I ain't never heard of it. Y'all try, Jerry. Probably good for your stress and stuff. My stress. I gotta watch season one and two a days again. <laughs> I'm, I'm have to go back. That's it's like oh Tennessee's new head coach. Yeah, he was on a reality show about eleven years ago. Let's go find those MTV clips. You got you you got to throw that in here, man. It's it was and and Jeremy Pruitt. He's as he is as country as country gets, and he's gonna be 
uh, he, he's gonna. I'm gonna enjoy some of his press conferences. I, I got a feeling they're gonna be entertaining. All right, uh, Arkansas officially announced the hire of Chad Morris. Uh, I referenced it earlier, talking about the. You know, let's see what go where we go with the defensive coordinator. Um, like Chad Morris has been like even when he was an offensive coordinator uh, at Clemson, he was he was even taking interviews and considered for potential Power Five jobs. He goes to SMU. After a couple seasons, lands at Arkansas. Is this a spot where you believe that Chad Morris is going to be able to, with a couple recruiting classes, put in his system and finally capitalize on what has been believed to be, uh, like what is believed to be, a lot of potential uh, to be a successful head coach in a big time conference with his system? I, I think this is a good hire too, and and I mean he brings. There's a bunch of defensive coordinators now in this league, right? There's a bunch of defensive-focused teams, and, and that's, that's what the SEC's identity is. But when you, when you get someone to shake things up and bring some offense to the table, um, I mean, that's really what allowed A&M to cycle up. Uh, even if they didn't get where they wanted to be, they, they were sort of always that team you, were, you had to worry about uh, under Kevin Sumlin because they were – they were at sort of spread, high-powered offense. And if you're playing the, the grinded-out football every weekend, I mean, Hugh Freeze kind of did the same thing at Ole Miss. And you get that change of pace, it's tough to handle sometimes. So I think he can do that. I also think he brings what Arkansas has got to do on the recruiting trail is recruit East Texas really well. Um, that's an area that can, that can sort of give them an opportunity. Chad Morris, obviously being an old Texas high school football coach, um, can, can bring that. So – I think at Arkansas, for what they needed, I think Chad Morris is, is, a, is a really good hire. The key word for me here was identity, and we talked about it a lot. It kind of felt like Arkansas didn't know what it was in the last year or two. And, and like, doggone it, Chad Morris' team is going to have an identity. Like, <laughs> this, there might be some, some kind of insane games in the in these first couple years as you know not only the offense but also the Arkansas defense gets used to the change but uh but there's like they they're gonna get out there and they're gonna try to put a number on the board like I've you know I I I enjoy my American Athletic Conference football very much I spend a lot of time uh watching these bet you know what crazy games and and SMU man they're uh they, they they've made it real entertaining so I'm I'm gonna say Within three years, we've got an Arkansas team, uh, and it might be initially, but within three years, we'll get an Arkansas team that can sniff eight, nine wins. And I guess the hope for Arkansas is that at some point in the first five, six, seven years, you've got a team that, given the opportunity, could be uh, the thorn in the side of the SEC West powers. And like you said, like Texas A&M also probably – had a different bar set for what they were expecting than Arkansas does. I don't know. I mean, does yeah. do, do, would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think if if Texas if Arkansas has Texas A and M's record right now over the last whatever it is four or five years, they're they're happy. They're fine. They're satisfied. They're comfortable. That's what they want. Just just get a, just make us competitive. Keep us in the mix and 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 give us a chance to cycle up. I can't see Arkansas being disgusted and and worn out by too many eight win seasons because um, you know like that that's 
and, and and I think honestly, like with Arkansas, it was just a matter of like you said, identity. Like they were losing their identity, and and in, in a ways, they were moving towards this identity anyways, um, offensively. And so I think Chad Morris could come in and 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 make them go, you know, in earnest heading into that really sort of spread system. Doesn't it feel like uh, Arkansas is going to go eight and four with like one good win and one really bad loss almost every single year? Like that, that's kind of what a Chad Morris Arkansas season looks like. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Sure. Like, um, like the, they're, they're going to have the perfect game plan in place and they're going to catch an Auburn or an LSU. Heck, you know, like they could even you know, get a come out and knock off Alabama at some point. But then at the same time, there's also going to be like, God, how did they lose to Kentucky? What was that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that, that. That feels right. It's, it's, you know, and we're, we're so, I'll be, I'll be interested to see who Chad Morris hires as a D coordinator. Right. Because obviously you're going to be able to hire a, a better defensive staff at Arkansas than you, maybe you could at SMU. Where they weren't really playing much defense, because he's—I mean—he's paired this up with Venables in the past, and he's been okay. Obviously, that's Clemson, where they got a lot of talent. But um, I think he's—you know—this is possible for them to be able to play defense. Um, so there, there's, there, I, I look if you're Arkansas, um, and, and honestly, when when Morris' name was floated with Tennessee a little bit, I thought that would have been a good hire too. Like that, Chad Morris is a—he's a very, I think, safe good solid hire in the sec um all right let's go to florida state willie taggart officially introduced on wednesday as the new head coach um came out had uh had had some pretty solid florida state uh in general and then willie taggart a little bit too did you catch some of the jimbo shade no, I haven't had a chance to listen to the the Willie Presser. Um, well, this was uh, the president John Thrasher uh, came out. He used he used Jimbo's no brainer quote. Uh, they they were they had the band do the another welcome thing, but it was almost like a little backhanded side eyed uh, <laughs> band welcome. It's a uh, I I want I, I want Florida State and Texas A and M to get a, a a neutral site opener on the schedule now. I think I think this is going to become the potential for a pretty good rivalry. Uh, in terms of Taggart, the things that I loved about his hire is like bringing back the story of when he was at South Florida and South Florida was playing Florida State, and ta- some of Taggart's own family members showed up to the game in FSU gear. Uh, I didn't know. Did I? Did you know that he was like a Florida State fan of sorts? I think I assumed it. I don't know that I necessarily knew it, but I think I just assumed it with him being from the area. Uh, I know that of, of a certain age where like right. Florida state was basically probably like a pro team for everybody, uh, in that air in like the Tampa and Orlando area, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I, I think, um, yeah, that, that didn't surprise me at all. Um, I, I, I think with this hire, one of the, one of the big things that like, it's, it's another good hire. I mean, I feel like I'm calling them all good hires. At some point, we just need to rank them because I think they've a lot of these have just been good decisions, and this was a no-brainer. We we sat there as soon as Jimbo left. We were like, "Well, this is going to be Willie Taggart." We um, said, and we said it would be a fast process. We were like, "No, yeah. this is a really easy move. You pick up the phone, you call Willie Taggart, and you get him from Oregon right now." It was a no-brainer, no doubter, and and I, I it was a 
it was important that they landed him too because I do think whoever the the number two pick would have been would have been disappointing. Um, it would have been hard to to live up to the expectations of the hire. Um, Willie Taggart. One of the best things about Willie Taggart, a he's a great recruiter. He showed that at Oregon. I mean, they're the number six in the country right now. The number one in the Pac-12, uh, right from the jump. Like had a, they were turning towards a historic Oregon class. Um, Whoops. Obviously, sorry, dog. <laughs> right, and I think a bunch of those Florida kids that were committed already bounced. Obviously, he's got the ties built in in the state of Florida. He's got the staff. He's got the connections. Shoot, if Jim Levitt comes in, like that's a guy that was the best head coach in the history of the USF program. And if he's going to be his D coordinator, then that's that guy knows the area. And so there's a lot to like there. But I, what I really like about Taggart is if you remember, Willie Taggart is a Jim Harbaugh guy. He's yep. a He's a physical pro style. Those are his roots. And he goes to Western Kentucky, and that's how he won. And he goes to, to – He played for Jack. To play for Jack at Western Kentucky, yeah. And he goes down to USF and institutes that same pro style system. And it doesn't work. And he changes his whole system. He gets into pace. He gets into quarterback run. He gets into um, basically like a power spread. And that he took off. And I think that's sort of refreshing for Florida State fans, having been through the Jimbo era where he's just stuck in his ways. Mm. Same system he's always had, same coaching staff he's always had. And you got Willie Taggart, who's fresh, who's young, who's, who's got you know, a, a lot of that sort of swagger that Florida State loves. And I think he brings that sort of malleable mentality to the program where they're going to figure out what works and and they're going to get it done um and i think whether this is you know there's still kind of a limited body of work you know a rebuild of western kentucky and a a rebuild of usf and a a seven to five seven at oregon it's not as if you're hiring some sure thing like chip kelly but i still think this is this is sort of the perfect hire at the at the at this time there is this is to me the best news for Cam Akers. Yeah. I just feel like he's going to explode. And I mean, and this is like a player that I'm I'm preaching to the choir as I'm talking to Barton right now. Barton has been on Cam Akers train uh for as long as we've been doing these podcasts. And uh and I that's that was that was one of my takeaways is like you look at the personnel there. I don't know what happens with the Deion. Do you have a hunch on what happens with DeAndre Francois, James Blackman, like if one of them transfers or or how Willie Taggart impacts that? Because to me, it's almost like, well, whoever's there, you know, they'll figure out a way. Auden Tate's still going to be there too. But mostly I'm thinking about when he was at South Florida and he had Marlon Mack just lighting the world up. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think even Darnish Johnson might have been on one of those teams too. But uh even when he adjusted to more of a spread up tempo system, his running backs were getting out there and just gobbling up yards. And I think that Cam Akers, given that opportunity in that kind of system, uh, is going to have like an all ACC, a potential ACC player of the year kind of season. Yeah. Talk about another thing that people are frustrated with Jimbo on is like, how, why does it take so long to get freshmen ready to play in your system, man? Like, I know it's a pro style and you got to get all the passing protection stuff figured out and you got to get these guys, but, but should it be that hard? Why, why was the best player on on Florida state's team arguably, um, limited, you know, like, like maybe the most talented player on the team, like Cam Akers, he just like, it took him eight games before they were giving him a full workload. So 
those are the sort of things that I think it's 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 a, a refreshing to move on from Jimbo Fisher and uh you know I think that this is going to be a this is he, he's I mean you already saw like him jumping off the out of the you know the car to to get it arriving in Tallahassee to the tomahawk chop and I mean the 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 place is embracing him and, and I think that they they're excited to have him and and, and I think it's going to work do you think Levitt's going to end up going it sounds like it it's just a, I mean he's he just he really wants a head job it sounds like and so I think he's going to play He's the market continue to yeah play the market and see what pops up uh but if if nothing nothing arrives that it it sounds likely that he he goes with them which is would be huge um before we move on to oregon uh with the recruiting trails the connection here do you think that some of the decommits from florida state that happened during jimbo's flirtation with texas a&m and while florida state's assistants had been off the road for a little while is taggart's goal i would assume would be to try and go get those players back uh, do you see that happening? Uh, it depends on if he wants them. Uh, I mean, some some of those guys, you, you know, are no doubts, but some of them, I don't, I don't know that necessarily. Like, uh, thank you, Barton. Okay, so so <laughs> yeah. it's like one of these things where uh, we like not like college football writers who are following these stories, but not connected to the prospects. We see decommits that are tied to potential instability at the coaching situation. We probably make a bigger deal of it than it really is. Like if this is a flaky guy who is a fringe part of the class anyway, then the decommit doesn't mean that the class is falling apart exactly, right? Right. And well, I mean, I think in this case, yes, there was a big like eight decommitments are tied to the coaching instability and uncertainty. Uh, but when you get I guess my point is when Willie Taggart arrives, he's he knows the state. He's been evaluating the state. He may want different guys, and these weren't guys. The guys that decommitted from Florida State's class were not top 100 five-star guys. If that was the case, then yes, they would be first, you know, first bus to those hometowns, and and they'd be trying to get those guys back on board. But a lot. Of, these guys are guys that, hey, maybe maybe Willie Taggart's got a different idea of what he wants in this class. And so I wouldn't assume anything on that front. I think he's going to hit the road. Um, and and already, you know, we're hearing that he's going to make a run at, at Justin Fields. So no! now Justin Fields got Dan Mullen, Willie Taggart, and Jimbo Fisher making runs at him. Um, so there's 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 a lot going on here, and, and I think Willie Taggart is, is – He's going to hit some high priority targets first. Is Fields uh, expected to sign on this early signing day? He was. I mean, and, and I think he still is as it stands today. But it's <laughs> going to be something to watch. I mean, it's it's so hard to fathom that. Now Florida State's a little bit different, uh, having James Blackman and, and DeAndre Francois there. But Fields is certainly the best fit for for Willie Taggart's system among those guys. Um, uh, he is certainly the best fit for Dan Mullen. Who I mean, he would he would start. I don't think there's any question he would start from, from day one at Florida with Dan Mullen, um, and he would probably start from day one under Jimbo Fisher. Um, so Nick Starkle and, and and Kellen Mond are both there, but I think I, I think Fields is clearly better than those guys. So it's just so weird to think that he's going to turn down those opportunities for a Georgia situation that's got a quarterback that might end up winning a national title. I honestly think if he doesn't sign in December, um, 
which is what he expects to do. But if he holds off and says, I'm going to just wait and see what happens, then Georgia fans obviously will want a national title. But I think if they win a national title, that hurts their chances for Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields' theory is you've got a quarterback in Jake Fromm that can win you an SEC title. I'm the guy that can win you a national title. And if Jake Fromm, as a true freshman, wins a national title, what what's what what point is there to go to, to Georgia? Because you're sitting behind a national title quarterback as a true freshman that is going to be really hard to beat out for the next two years. So it, it's it is a it's a little bit of a catch twenty two for Georgia fans um, if in fact Justin Fields holds off and, and doesn't sign December twentieth. Can I? Uh, I'll, I'll throw. I'll throw this out, and if I would love for Georgia fans to uh, to let me know, but I would I would guess that you have to you, if you're a Georgia fan, you've only got one national championship. You take a you would take a title right now and give up Justin Fields as opposed yeah. to getting Justin Fields with yeah. with the like the <laughs> potential. Like Fields wins three or something. Yeah. yeah. No, I I. As, as bullish as I am on Justin Fields, and as much as I think he is as as good of a quarterback as I've I've seen, uh, a bird in the hand, man. You take any national titles you can get, uh, and you ride it out with Fromm, and and that's no, I mean Jake Fromm is he he has the feel of a guy that goes down as like the most beloved quarterback in the history of Georgia football. If he can if he can dig a national title up, and and hey maybe dig another one up somewhere along the way. He's just got that personality. He's he's got he's such a great leader. Um, he he's I mean nobody's nobody's rooting for Justin Fields to beat him out. All right, uh, before we get out of here, Oregon. This is going to be a fluid situation. Um, I'll, I'll get this put up. We've already got New Heisel in the in the bag, so I'll get this up in by about noon Thursday. But we're not expecting Oregon to move by then. Um, I think Mario Cristobal would be a great hire. I kind of hope they get him. I think the continuity would be good. Is that weird? I guess like I don't know who the mastermind is on the off on, on offensively is like is Cristobal then the guy like because I, I think Taggart was really has really been the guy that that's sort of constructs that offense. Um, but they've got Herbert like Herbert's such a stud. That- yeah, but so long term though, what do we you know who's is Cristobal? I mean, I don't know, and like maybe Cristobal. I, I know Cristobal is a phenomenal recruiter. I know he's a good coach. He's been. He was a. He he was given a raw deal at FIU. He, he you know was did a great job there. But Oregon is known for wide open offense, and Chip Kelly did it. Even Mark Helfrich did it, and Willie Tiger was capable of doing it. I I just the only, my only question, Mario Cristobal, is who's going to be the offensive coordinator, and can they can they maintain that identity? offensively um you know that that's that is to me is something to 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 watch because i i think taggart was ultimately the um the, the brains behind that that system all right uh down well then the, the the next one if it's kevin sumlin then you're probably nodding your head you're like all right cool this is the status quo right yeah he can keep you know he can keep it keep it plugging um and then oregon's own uh oregon's own Justin Wilcox. That's right. That's right. That's the other name that's being floated right now. And then obviously you start getting a defensive mentality and maybe he's bringing Bo Baldwin with him to, 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 you know, a guy that's had a lot of success 
with wide open offenses in the past at Eastern Washington. So yeah, there's there is a lot um, to like about that hire as well. So they they've got some good options. I don't know that any of them are going to be quite as as heralded as Willie Taggart was. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see. I think they're at a little bit of a crossroads here. There's not a there's not an obvious answer for Oregon. Last year there were so many good choices, so many good directions they could go, and uh, this year it's just a. I think you got to. There's some nuance here. You got to be smart about this one. And and I think the only the guy that's sitting in those rooms and 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 giving those interviews has the has really the the grasp on on who the best hire is. But uh, those three would all be good names. But I don't know that there are any of them are no doubters. What about that? I mean, that would be heartbreaking for Cal. Yeah, that'd be tough to swallow for Cal. Because I think uh, I think Wilcox has got a big buyout. And by the way, after this past coaching season. No longer am I looking at big buyout as a holdup for anything. Like, oh, just, Mora's not going to get fired. He's got a $12 million buyout. <laughs> oh, like, you can't go get so-and-so from that school. He's got a big buyout. It's like, mm-mm. No, no, I no. Know. I know, man. It's just like they're just writing these checks, man. It's not <laughs> writing these checks. Like, it, like, these boosters are so hungry. Like, they're all looking at across the country at all the other boosters and and the hires they're making, and they just want to get in the get in the game. Um, it's been it's been crazy to watch. Market's doing well. We'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, all right. He is Barton Simmons. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Uh, we will be uh, circling back next week as we start to look ahead to some of the early bowl action, uh, and of course, catching up and putting a bow on the uh, coaching carousel. You want to let's let's say we'll, we'll power rank some hires once everything settles down. Absolutely, I, like I was uh, I was going to pitch that to you. We'll 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 talk about it, but I got I got a plan. Awesome, sounds good. Uh, make sure you subscribe, review, and rate Barton. Thank you very much. All right, man.